We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report podcast. Your Chicago Bears are 2-0 and after another nail-biter that went down to the final play. With two wins, wins, and we'll take it. I'm one of your hosts of the Bear Report podcast, Zach Pearson. I'm joined, as always, by Aaron Lemming. Aaron, man, back-to-back weeks, it comes down to the final play where the defense has to make a stand. They need to stop doing that, man. <laughs> I... But my my heart literally cannot take much more of that, man. That's and it's funny, especially in this game, man. They were up seventeen nothing, and things just didn't go the way in the second half. But man, I, I don't know how many more of those kind of games I can take, especially with it coming down to basically the defense having to make a stop when they really don't look that good late in the game like that. It's been uh, two nail biters in a row, but luckily they pull them both out. And I mean, they're they're one of eleven teams to be two and zero right now, and this is the first time since 2013 that they started off 2-0, so that's definitely a plus. Yeah, it's been a long time since they've been 2-0, and they sit right atop the NFC North with the Green Bay Packers, and you look at the Detroit Lions and Minnesota Vikings, and both are not only 0-2, but both have looked pretty bad, especially the Vikings. They have just been a big disappointment for a lot of people, um, losing to Green Bay week one, and then pretty much, you know, as you said before we were recording, just got field goal to death pretty much by the, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship and the Indianapolis Colts. But still, you know, 14 more games of football to go, and, you know, a 2-0 start is a 2-0 start, although we would like to see some improvement all around, both on offense and defense. But that's where we stand now um, on this episode of the podcast. We will break down that week two victory at Soldier Field against the Giants. 
We'll also be joined by Tori McElhaney of The Athletic. She covers the Atlanta Falcons, and it was a great interview to kind of give you guys some insight on how Atlanta's doing after that collapse against the Dallas Cowboys in week two and what to expect when the Bears head down south um, into the new Mercedes-Benz Dome and take on the Falcons as they look to go 3-0. and We'll get into all that. And a Bear was actually extended. His contract was extended before Sunday's game. We'll do all that, and we'll be right back after our first break of the show. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Welcome back in here, Bears fans. So, Aaron, we've already mentioned the game kind of came down to the wire. And, you know, right away from that week two victory, I had a couple takeaways. I love what the Bears did on offense that first opening drive. They converted four of four for third downs. Um, The drive ended. It was, what, a 12-play drive. Took up over seven minutes, 85 yards. And it ended in a touchdown pass for Mitchell Trubisky to David Montgomery. And after that drive, I felt like, okay, this might be a blowout pretty quick because the Bears would then get the ball back in great field position after Robert Quinn's first snap with the team. You know, he strips sack Daniel Jones. They go up 10 nothing. They get another touchdown at the end of the first half. I'm thinking blowout, this one's going to be over. But the Bears failed to pretty much put the Giants away. They had a couple opportunities in that second half to put them away with touchdown drives. They just couldn't do it. And like I said, man, they hung on until the final play. Yeah, it uh, it was one of those tale of two halves kind of, um, you know, kind of been reminiscent of the Bears season so far and, you know, in two games. It's just one of those situations where, you know, and it's the same thing with a lot of teams right now. So, you know, to be completely fair, I mean, there's just it's it's there's not a lot of consistent products out there from start to finish. And the Bears are definitely one of those teams where. You know, they started off with that great opening drive then got the ball back, and Anthony Miller should have caught that ball in the end zone. It was a perfect pass from Trubisky, and Miller just, you know, it, it wasn't an easy catch, but it was a catch that he should have made. And, you know, then they go up 10 nothing, and then obviously 17 nothing right before the half, and then they come out in the third quarter, and right away they make that defensive stop, and you're thinking, okay, things are looking really good. And then you start slowly seeing things slip away little by little. Mistakes are being made. Interceptions are happening. Uh, you know, and, and kind of like we we're talking about before the podcast, I don't think that the Bears offense is nearly as bad as what some people are saying it is, because if you look at the second half, they didn't have one three and out the entire time. So it's a situation where the Bears are moving the ball. And that's that, that's not like what was going on the majority of last year. The Bears are moving the ball. The Bears have a pretty consistent run game. Uh, David Montgomery looked pretty dang good. I mean, he had almost half the team's uh, total yards um, and he had a touchdown as well. Uh, they're moving the ball. It's just it's small things where the execution is off and mistakes are being made to where it's either a drop pass or a penalty or, like I said, just poor execution as a whole, and they're stalling themselves out because they're not quite good enough just yet. And I think it can come in time to where they can kind of get past that one mistake, move over it, and continue on the drive. So it's one of those situations where, yes, it was – that was one of those situations where you do not want to see them blow a 17 point lead. And obviously they didn't end up blowing it, but it came down way closer than should have. I mean, they pretty much dominated the majority of that game, 
But I also think that early on in the season, especially when you get the win, this is kind of one of those learning experiences for I think the coaching staff and the players to where they're good enough. They're good enough to win games, and obviously the Giants aren't good. I don't think they're as bad as everybody thinks they are, but they're definitely not a good team right now. Um, but it, it's a situation where I think there's a lot of there's a lot to learn from a game like that where you see what you did right and you see what you did wrong, especially in the second half and and basically how you just have to put more points on the board. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, especially with that, that pick six, and I think we should probably talk about that. I'm sorry, but the ref made the bad call there. I mean, that was the same exact play that happened two years ago in 2018 where Kyle Fuller went in for the interception going for the ball. And that's the rule. If you're going for the ball as a corner, you are entitled to that space as well. And that's exactly what Eddie Jackson was doing. It's very similar to the play with Kyle Fuller against the Bills where he knocked the receiver off the route going for the ball. It popped up in the air. Leonard Floyd took it back for a pick six. And it's the same exact thing that happened with Eddie Jackson. He was going for the ball that was not pass interference. Unfortunately, it was a bad play. But again, that's kind of one of those situations where if that happens, we don't see the comeback at the end of the game. We see the Bears cruise to an easy victory, and there's really not much to sweat. But I think that the, that can come in, in, in due time. And, and, again, I mean, you look back at 2018, and there wasn't a lot of pretty games. Those first two wins of the season until they got to that Tampa, that Tampa Bay game where they blew them out, there was some pretty close and pretty, honestly, pretty ugly games for the most part. So it's like, again, you know, I don't want to continue to reference 2018, but when you're looking at what Bears team we're going to see this year, is it going to be 2018 or 2019? What what team is this? What team are they going to be closer to? And I think they're trending in the 2018 direction. And again, if you want to go back and look at it just for reference, the first few games of the season, again, they blew that lead in Green Bay, and then obviously they won the next two, and then they had the blowout Tampa Bay. And I'm not saying that the blowout's going to happen this week in Atlanta, but I do think that things can change in a hurry, especially hurry early on in the season, especially, and especially when you're looking at a really weird offseason the way it was where it was a shortened camp and no preseason. I think a lot of teams right now are just trying to get their foot in. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks. Like you said, I mean, you watched the Saints last night on Monday Night Football, and they looked really bad. You know, Drew Brees was really struggling out there, made a, made a couple bad throws, including the interception. And then you watch, you know, the rest of the league, and no one's really impressive. Even the Chiefs had their struggles in week two down in Los Angeles with um, rookie Justin Herbert getting that start after Tyrod Taylor had to leave in pregame warmups. And if it wasn't for Harrison Butker's, you know, three, he made literally the same kick three times. It was actually pushed back five yards um, in overtime without that, you know, they might be one and one. So for me, it's like, you know, the Packers look pretty good in the NFC. I think the Seahawks are a legit contender in the NFC. After that though, a lot of teams have had their struggles and it's going to kind of come down to nutrition, staying healthy and executing. And if the Bears can stay healthy and they can execute and start turning things around, play a full game, um, get their offense going, get their defense to a level where it can be dominant once again, you know, they should be in there for a race for a playoff spot. I mean, you look at a team like Dallas and they could very easily be 0-2 and probably should be 0-2. You look at a team like the Rams who beat Dallas last week and you know, they've had some problems um, in their two games so far. So really no one in the NFC is very scary to me as of yet. Um, I'd have to say probably it's the Seahawks and Packers right now is the favorites. But this thing could be wide open. And, and seeing all those injuries in week two, you know, Matt Nagy said the Bears have escaped with no significant injuries again. It very well could come down to that. Uh, in terms of Sunday's game for, you know, standouts and stuff, I really look at two rookies, and I think you're going to agree with me as well. Jalen Johnson is playing at a very high level through the first two weeks of the season, and he's being graded as one of the top defensive backs 
not just rookie, but top defensive backs overall through the first two weeks. Um, he's right up there with five passes defensed in those two games. And I did some film review on him today. Even when he's not being targeted, you look at him, the receivers aren't getting open. There was a couple of plays where Daniel Jones didn't even look to his side of the field and was instead targeting Kyle Fuller, which tells me a lot because Kyle Fuller is also playing at a really high level to start the year as well. And then you look over at the other rookie, Darnell Mooney, and Riley Ridley again inactive. Anthony Miller, I believe, was only 26 snaps total in the game. And you look at Darnell Mooney, he had a, um, it was around 10 plus more than Miller had. Mooney is starting to become a player that, you know, the Bears are starting to rely on. And Ted Ginn, not active as well. And that's huge for me because, you know, going into the year, I didn't think they'd get much from Mooney right away. But that doesn't appear to be the case. And to be honest, we haven't even seen them really take a deep shot from Mooney. He's not, you know, just running streaks and, and, and deep routes. He's actually running, you know, extended routes. And it looks like his, his route tree has extended a little bit since um, his days at Tulane. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those situations where you look at the 2019 rookie class and David Montgomery has really been the only guy of note. I mean, you just pointed out the fact that Riley Ridley going into year two is not following the Javon Wims plan in terms of mainly, you know, inactive on game days in his rookie season and then starts getting playing time. And that's coming after, you know, quite a few coaches have praised him. So obviously there's something there that is not being said. I don't know what's going on, but yeah, when you look at Ridley and you look at Johnson, uh, I'll start with Johnson. I mean, Jalen Johnson has just been phenomenal and it's a situation right now where, you know, and we'll get into the preview of the Atlanta game, but Atlanta has two receivers that have combined for over 400 yards. Plus they have another slot receiver who has had, you know, close to 200 yards as well. So you got a situation where Atlanta has a very, very potent passing attack and you look at the Bears and you, and you look at their, their secondary and you look at their two corners, you know, not counting Buster Screen inside at the nickel. And they have one of the better duos in terms of numbers right now. I mean, Kyle Fuller has been playing out of his mind and Jalen Johnson doesn't look like a rookie. He looks like a four or five year veteran right now. I mean, he has been outstanding. He has five pass breakups on the year. Uh, PFF, I think, has, has him rated as the second or third highest graded rookie uh, over the first two weeks. Then obviously look at Mooney. I mean, I, I think it says it all when Ted Ginn Jr., who's a veteran and who was expected to contribute early on is a healthy scratch. Uh, Riley Ridley was a healthy scratch and Darnell Mooney ends up finishing second in, you know, on the team and receivers in terms of uh, overall snaps played. And I think that says a lot. And like you pointed out, I think the big thing right now is with this route tree. I mean, he's not just going out there running a bunch of nine routes. He's not just out there as a speed guy that like a lot of people, including myself thought he would be, he's actually looking like an outside threat as a receiver and that's that's a really good thing and that that speaks very very highly of what this draft class has looked like so far I mean Cole Komet's been out there he finally got his first catch and obviously you know rookie tight ends are really hard to project and usually don't really do that well uh, in year one and then Kendall Vildor will I would imagine at some point he'll end up getting out on the field but so far man especially for not having a first or third round pick the Bears are getting some good early returns out of those rookies and like I pointed out before man David Montgomery uh, you know, he has been pretty dang good and he was a big part of the offense on Sunday. And again, it's just one of those things where the bears are finding different ways to win and they're finding different guys to be able to produce and to rely on early on in the season. And they're mainly young guys, which is a very good sign moving forward. 
Yeah, in connection with Montgomery, I think Bears' offensive line has played very well for the first two weeks. We saw that again on Sunday against the Giants. You know, Juan Castillo said he wants his offensive line to be aggressive and physical, get out to that second level, not only make their blocks, but get out there and and push people back and open up running lanes. So far, we've seen that, not only with Montgomery, but with Patterson and and Tariq Cohen you know, picking up big chunks as well. I think the offensive line's very much improved. The only concerns I would have would be on the outside, the the tackles. You know, I I haven't really been impressed with Charles Leno and Bobby Massey in pass protection just yet. You look at the interior offensive line, Cody Whitehair, James Daniels, and even Jermaine Effetti outside of that one, you know, boneheaded penalty he had that pretty much cost them, you know, really good field position, likely points at the end of that fourth quarter. They've played pretty well, and that's that's huge because last year at this time, you know, through two weeks, the Bears were one and one, but the offensive line wasn't playing very well. And then eventually they would have to go on to switch Cody White here and James Daniels back. I'm, I'm glad they went into it this year with their normal set with um, Daniels at left guard and White here at center. It's starting to pay off really well. Uh, on the other side of the ball, though, with that defense, you know, you saw Robert Quinn get that strip sack on the first play. He was generating a couple of pressures. You saw Cleo Mack get his first sack of the year and was in the backfield a good amount. I like what I see so far from the, from the defensive line and Akeem Hicks and Roy Robertson-Harris. I thought I had a good game. But, you know, with the linebacker position, outside of Roquan Smith, he's been fantastic in my eyes. There seems to be a little problem with Danny Trevathan in, in pass coverage. I don't know if it's just kind of age catching up to him, if he's not – fully conditioned um I, i'd probably hope it is more of not fully conditioned it's going to take him a couple games but the bears are really going with a lot of their dime looks and bringing in Deion bush as an extra safety to play coverage and taking danny trevathan out and teams are starting to kind of see that and trying to get mismatches on trevathan with running backs quick running backs um, sometimes even quick wide receivers or, or even tight ends that could become a problem you know down the stretch here well, especially for what they gave him in terms of contract. I mean, they let Nick Kwiatkowski walk. They let Kevin Pierre-Lewis walk, and they opted to sign Danny Trevathan. I mean, he's only 30 years old. He showed no signs of slowing down, um, obviously, before the injury last season. And, you know, he's been a big leader on that Bears defense. But right now, I mean, through two weeks, there's definitely con- some concern. And it, it's interesting because week one, we kind of highlighted a little bit, Danny Trevathan was awful. I mean, there's just no other way around it. And uh, you can look at that last drive – Uh, where Detroit failed to get the touchdown because DeAndre Swift dropped the ball. And the two big plays that they had on that drive, which was both um, the Danny Amendola catch and then obviously that DeAndre Swift pass that should have been a touchdown that he dropped, those were both Danny Trevathan in coverage. Those were both his assignments, and he he was far behind and burned on both of them. And then obviously – you look at it here and you look at week two and all of a sudden he's splitting, splitting reps with Dion Bush. And I mean, that's just, that's concerning because you got a guy in Danny Trevathan who signed a three-year contract that's basically fully guaranteed at this point for him because of the way it's structured. And even in year four, when he's gone because of the way that they structured the contract and because of kind of a, a dead year, essentially, uh, you have him, he's going to be costing, I think it's about $5 million against the, the cap even when he's gone. So it's a situation where it's not like they can cut bait after one year and move on. I mean, he's locked in for three years. So I really, really, really hope that this isn't a situation where 
they re-signed the wrong guy and, you know, he's just physically cooked and we're in a, you know, we're, we're looking at a situation where they're going to have to be careful with him over the next three years. And eventually he's going to be on the bench and they're going to end up having to replace him and still pay him the kind of money that they're going to pay him. But it's definitely not a good sign. If there's one real concern on defense, I mean, I think that would be it at this point because let's just say, you know, Roquan Smith does go down, then you're relying on Josh Woods, Iggy, and, uh, you know, a guy in Danny Trevathan who's not even taken, you know, over 60% of the snaps in week two because, you know, he's either, you know, not well conditioned or he's lost a big step after that injury and the Bears didn't know it. I mean, that's definitely not a good sign and something to monitor moving forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're right. I'm glad you brought up that point about death because the Bears don't have that luxury like they did last season where Nick Kotkowski and Kevin Pierre-Lewis could fill in for, you know, the injuries that Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan suffered. So Bears going to have to stay healthy and it really could be a race to which team, you know, could be healthy. But as I said, a win is a win and winning season is back at my bookie. Um, NFL, college football, MLB, NBA, get in on the action at my bookie. Um, you know, we have a special promo code here for you, our listeners. If you want to get on that winning action with my bookie, you can use the promo code overtime and double your first deposit. That's right. New players can get up to $1,000 in free play. And it's designed to add more excitement to the sports that you love watching and the games that you love betting. Bet with the best all NFL season long for your chance to win big and use that cro- promo code overtime to double that first deposit. In addition to the, the promo code, we have a very special deal for overtime listeners. All We're going to give away $500 in cash to one lucky person who takes advantage of this offer. When you make your deposit, take a screen grab of your MyBookie account, email to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. $500 will be given away at the end of September. You don't want to miss out on this deal. Go win yourself some money while you're sitting on the couch watching football. Winning time is back at my bookie. Aaron, uh, before we get into our interview to kind of preview the Atlanta Falcons, we should talk about this, some news that happened before the game, actually. It actually broke late Saturday night. A Bears player was extended, is not Allen Robinson. Instead, the Bears have agreed to a new deal three years with running back Tariq Cohen, uh, it's worth $17.25 million. I believe it's $9 million fully guaranteed. Um, and Cohen's here to stay for a couple more years. I was a little shocked because I, I didn't see it Saturday night when I went to bed. I saw it Sunday morning. I figured they're going to get a deal done with Cohen eventually. Um, to me, I think it's, it's a fair deal for both sides. I think if the Bears really like Cohen that much, he's good at punt returner. He's a gadget back that they want to use. It's a pretty fair deal seeing the market for running backs. And now he's here to stay. What are kind of your thoughts on the deal? I have no issue with that. I mean, it's one of those situations where, again, when you're comparing 2018 and 2019 in terms of Matt Nagy, I, obviously I think the Bears want to use him as that type of weapon that they had in 2018 where he was taking pressure off of tight ends and he was you know, used as that gadget guy out of the backfield as a receiver. He was kind of their explosive play guy. Uh, obviously so far we really haven't seen that Um, although in week one I was pretty impressed with him as a runner Um, it's just one of those situations it's going to be about how they use him and I I think that's going to be a big key moving forward where again they need to they need to use him right 
and they need to make sure uh, that they're actually getting their money's worth because as of you know last year and, and, and so far this year, they really haven't used them a ton. So it's one of those situations where I think ultimately what it comes down to is you had Tariq Cohen on a rookie deal um, up until you know next year, obviously, and you know Cordero Patterson is going to be a free agent after this year as well. And I think you're pretty much replacing his contract with uh, Tariq Cohen's contract. So again, I have no issue with it. I do think uh, you know it's kind of one of those things where you know, now more than ever, you definitely need to get Allen Robinson under contract. I think it will happen sooner rather than later. I think there's a lot of pressure being put on both sides right now. There's being pressure put through the media, all the fun stuff. Hopefully we'll see a deal um, before kickoff. Um, and obviously Ian Rappaport reported that they are, you know, that they've restarted negotiations and exchange offers. So hopefully that goes somewhere. So I'm, I'm glad for Cohen because I mean, one of the big things when he got drafted is he said that he wanted to take care of his mom and he was going to do that after his first rookie deal and or after his, after his rookie deal and then his first, you know, non-rookie deal. And now he's able to take care of that. So again, I'm really, really happy for Tariq Cohen. He's had to overcome a lot because of his size and basically always being told that he was too small to do everything. And yet here he is and has kept an awesome attitude and has been a really fun player for the bears and we'll get to see him for years to come, which is awesome. Yeah. And I think the big thing is, you know, eventually getting Allen Robinson extended, you know, Robinson spoke to media last week and says, you know, he still wants to be here. He still wants to be part of the team and had to sit down with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace and all the signs point towards Robinson getting a deal done. It's just, you know, going to be a matter of when, and I think a lot of fans kind of freaked out when they saw Cohen get the extension and not Robinson. And like you mentioned on Twitter as well, I mean, this does not take away from the chances of, uh, of Robinson to get extended. The salary cap is kind of a myth. People are moving money around all the time. The Bears will have money to get a Robinson deal done. It's just going to be when are they. And to be, if I'm honest, you know, I would say it's going to be sooner than later just because – it feels like all the momentum is shifting towards Robinson staying here and getting that extension for the seasons up. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I think it'll happen. I, yeah, I definitely, no I think it'll happen. And I think it'll happen sooner rather than later. I, I, I won't guarantee this week by any means, but I do think just for the sake of both sides, I think something needs to happen soon. I agree. I think it'll get done as well. Let's get into our interview to preview the Atlanta Falcons. We had Tori McElhaney on. She writes for the athletic covers the Atlanta Falcons for them. Great beat reporter. This was a really good interview to give you some insight on, you know, how Atlanta's feeling after blowing that large lead in the second half and, and losing week two to Dallas and how the Bears can kind of uh, move the football on the Falcons defense and hopefully put up some points. Check out our interview. We'll be right back after that. And welcome back into the Bear Report podcast to get you set for week three against the Atlanta Falcons. We are now joined by a very special guest. She covers the Atlanta Falcons for The Athletic. It's Tori McElhaney. Tori, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm sure, you know, you're excited with SEC football returning this weekend uh, down there. I, I believe Georgia plays this weekend. Yes, uh, they play Arkansas on Saturday, and I am exceptionally excited because this is the first time, I think, in four or five years that I will actually get to watch Georgia football without A, covering the game, or B, covering another college football game. So I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm glad we're getting college football back and the Big Ten's returning as well. But we brought you on to talk a little bit about the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, coming off that game Sunday, you know, I was watching the Bears-Giants, obviously, and, and after we did our press conferences with the players, I looked up and I, I thought Atlanta won, and I saw Dallas won. What the heck happened down there? <laughs> I think 
that we all are kind of like thinking the exact same thing. I know watching it live, I couldn't really like gather what was happening. It was one of those things that it made me so like shell shocked that essentially one that Dallas came back, that Atlanta had a 20 point lead um, before halftime. And then they had a 15 point lead with what, like five minutes left to go in the fourth quarter and still blow it. And then that weird onside kick where it just looked like the Falcons just didn't know what the heck to do. And they had one of the biggest mental busts I've ever seen in a, in a professional football game. And then they lose. And it was, I mean, just kind of watching all of that unfold simultaneously. And I've since gone back and watched the game over and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this was one of the biggest collapses I've seen as a, as a working sports journalist. Well, I'm watching that game and I've gone back and watched both Atlanta games just to kind of get an idea of how they got to 2-0 and how the heck they scored so many points. And the one thing that stands out to me is obviously, I think everybody by this point knows who Julio Jones is and, you know, Calvin Ridley's becoming quite the name as well. But who in the heck is Russell Gage? Where'd this guy come from? <laughs> oh my gosh. I really, honestly, he's, he's somebody who I have had my eye on all training camp. I said from the beginning of training camp that I was really, really excited about Russell Gage and what he was going to be able to do, even as the number three behind Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Because I think when you look at the way defensive defenses play Julio Jones, and I mean, the, the Cowboys were a great example where they're shading safeties and they're shading guys over to Julio Jones all the time even when he has this like hamstring issue that he's working through right now like I mean they are terrified about putting him in in any type of like single man-to-man coverage and so it kind of leaves Russell Gage out on an island and I think Dirk Cutter who's the Falcons offensive coordinator he was like people kind of forget about Russell Gage a little bit and essentially that's kind of what you saw what you've seen from Atlanta the last two weekends is they've used Russell Gage and they've used him a lot and they've actually used him in a lot of different ways so it's really fun to see how they kind of incorporate him in a system that already has like a one-two punch of Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. And coming off that loss you know to the Cowboys I mean that's got to be heartbreaking for the Falcons what's kind of the vibe that you're getting from the team uh, you know just a couple days later have they kind of just moved on from it uh, you think it's still in kind of in the back of their head and will it impact them at all on Sunday when the Bears come to town? I think that they're you know they're saying that they're moving on from it and they're saying like you know it's still early in the season and there's a lot of season left to be played and there's a bunch of games left on the schedule and yada yada but you can't tell me that that one doesn't hurt that that one doesn't stick in your head a lot longer than what you're saying it does I just can't like as a competitor how do you go back and you look at that game and you break that game down and I would have a hard time putting that one to bed and kind of moving forward from that one just because of the way that it transpired and knowing all the mistakes that led up to essentially the Falcons losing that game. So yeah, they're saying that they're moving on, but like, I think it's one of those things where it's either when something like this happens, I think you're either going to see the Falcons completely collapse within themselves or you're going to see them actually play with a new fire and really get things under control because you got to think that like if they don't if the collapse does happen if they go down one of those pathways and it's towards the path of you know a continued collapse that I mean this coaching staff won't be around for too much longer 
Well, and kind of keeping on the, uh, you know, the, the subject of the offense, it's, it's one of those things that, it, it, to me at least, it seems like the Falcons obviously have a really good offense and the defense is kind of the question. But the one thing that I've been kind of curious on, and I kind of want to get your take on it, obviously the, the Falcons have a really, really good passing attack. I mean, there's no denying that. I mean, Calvin Ridley and uh, Julio Jones have combined for over 400 receiving yards so far this year in two games, which is ridiculous. And we talked about Justin Gage, er, not Justin Gage, that's a former Bear player, Russell Gage. And we, you know, and we hadn't even touched on Hayden Hurst, who's actually been pretty impressive as well. But there's another big name on that offense that really isn't garnering a bunch of attention, um, at least so far, and that's Todd Gurley. And the one thing that I've kind of noticed in watching the Falcons both games is Gurley doesn't look overly effective. He looks a lot like he did in uh, in Los Angeles and, and being in that area for the few years that I was when he was there. It, it really feels like his knee is a bigger issue than, you know, than maybe some people have led on to, and obviously that kind of led to his release with the Rams. What's your overall take of Todd Gurley and just the running game in general with Atlanta? Because they've been pretty balanced, but it doesn't really seem like they've been nearly as effective running the ball as they have passing it. Yeah, no, and that's a great question. And it's something that uh, even I think the coaching staff to a certain degree, they were going into training camp and even going into the season kind of just being like, we're going to have to fill out the run game. We're going to have to feel out how we want to use Todd Gurley and what the what the carries are going to look like and how we incorporate Brian Hill and Edith Smith into the run game and how effective the offensive line can be in the run game. I mean, the offensive line and the strides that they make in the run game is almost just as important as what Todd Gurley does, in my opinion, um, in establishing that. And I, I just wish that I could see more of it. I know that the Falcons' whole thing, like you said, is, is what they can do in the pass game with Matt Ryan, with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, Russell Gage. I mean, those are significant weapons. But I just want to see more of Todd Gurley. I do. And I think that it all boils down to – I know in week one against Seattle, like, that was a weird game. When you have three receivers all over 100-plus yards in a game, like, that's significant. And, of course, like, they had to go to the pass game because of the way that the score was super lopsided. But – they were a lot more balanced against the Cowboys this Sunday, but it still didn't feel like it was very effective. And I want to see the point that they get to be effective in the run game. And when we were talking to Dirk Cutter yesterday about, about the run game, he was like, we were one block away so many times from cutting this thing open and seeing Todd Gurley Edo Smith, Brian Hill, because those are the three guys. They're rotating in three guys. This isn't Todd Gurley being a workhorse for the Falcons. This is a three-guy rotation. So he was like, we were one block away from all of this. We need the detail in the run game to advance us. And looking at that offense, and you mentioned the run game and Matt Ryan's year so far in the passing game, now Cleo Mack and Robert Quinn come to town, um, Akeem Hicks on that front seven as well. In your eyes, how good or how are the tackles on the Falcons going to try to slow down Robert Quinn and Cleo Mack? That's a great question because especially when you look at Caleb McGarry, who's um, the right tackle, 
he was hurt on Sunday and he didn't play the almost the entire game. I'm pretty sure he was, it was very early in the first half that he was taken out. And um, we don't really know the extent of, of his injury and how long he's going to be out. Granted, Matt Gona, who came in for him, he did okay. He had some missed opportunities here and there, but overall I was pretty pleased with that. But like him not having Caleb McGarry on that right side gives me some pause and gives me some some worries about how how protection will look on on Sunday um because on the other side you you do have Jake Matthews who I think Jake Matthews is a very consistent guy and but he was I mean he was pretty banged up last week he didn't practice a lot last week so I mean they're a little banged up right now at the tackle position well, kind of moving over to the defensive side of the ball for the Falcons. I mean, that's that was kind of going to be my next question is, how do you think this their front seven lines up against the Bears offensive line, who's been pretty revamped so far, but they've, I don't know if they've really had issues, I wouldn't classify it as issues, uh, protecting Trubisky more than Trubisky just not really having good pocket awareness. But how do you think that that matchup is going to go with Atlanta's front seven versus the Bears offensive line? It does worry me a little bit if you're Atlanta, if you're the Falcons, because again, there are some significant injuries that we're talking about and that we don't know if guys are going to be back to normal by Sunday. I mean, you have Tack McKinley and Foye Lucum who they, they were out all day on Sunday. So how healthy are they going into Sunday and how much of them maybe not being at a hundred percent affects what the Falcons can do in the pass rush. Because I do think that you have seen in those first two games, the Atlanta pass rush not look terrible. I mean, last year it wasn't that great at all. So, I mean, you only could go up essentially. But I do – I worry about especially Tack McKinley because Tack McKinley in those first two games, I thought he played well. I thought he's been doing really well. And you need more out of Dante Fowler. Um, I, I always love Grady Jarrett. In, in that defensive tackle position, I think he does amazing work, and he's kind of the leader of this of this front seven for for the Atlanta defense. But he can't do it all. There has to be more to Atlanta, and really and truly, and this was something Dan Quinn was talking about. Can't be the tale of two halves with this Atlanta defense, and which has been the storyline and the narrative these first two games they play really well for one half and then they're non-existent in the second in the second half or whatever other half it is so getting that consistency is is huge for Atlanta right now that kind of sounds like the Bears offense with Mitchell Trubisky it's you know week one he was really bad in the first half really good in the fourth quarter then last week it was pretty much the opposite but the Falcons have faced Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, and they've given up a combined pass rating of one, uh, 124.7 to both of them. Now, Mitch Trubisky isn't Russell Wilson. He's not Dak Prescott. And for us here in Chicago, you know, we want to see consistency on the offensive side of the football. How can the Bears' passing attack really attack the Falcons' defense? I think – it's really interesting because just seeing what Russell Wilson and seeing what Dak Prescott was able to do against them, it's like it almost everything looked too easy, like for those guys. And I don't know if it was just the secondary is having issues. I know 
after week one, they were having issues disguising what they were doing. And Foya Lucum said that there was a lot of like uh, pre-snap communication issues. And I, I think if you're Chicago, you lean into that and you kind of say like, okay, they're having a hard time maybe getting the secondary where they need to be lined up where they need to be pre-snap. So take advantage of that. Um, but again, even saying that, that's something the Falcons have been saying for two weeks that they need to clean up. So maybe they'll actually do that and see progress, you know, here in week three. But that's – if I'm Chicago, that's what I'm looking at. Well, and kind of moving into the overall view of the game, obviously the Falcons are in a position where they're 0-2 and the Bears are 2-0. and And I think a lot of Bears fans are somewhat surprised that they're 2-0, and especially with <laughs> how they've gotten there. And, and at least to me, like looking at it from an outside perspective, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm sure Sunday's loss was was big for the Falcons, but they're also in a division where the division leaders won and won. I mean, they they they've got some ground that they can make up, and they can still be in a good position. So, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, where do you see the Falcons matching up best against the Bears? Whether it's offensive, defensive, whatever it may be, where do you think that the Falcons are going to be able to exploit the Bears on Sunday? I do think just from what I've been able to see Calvin Ridley do in two weeks, like he's right now one of the biggest threats that the, that the Falcons have. And I do think that he's something special right now for the Falcons. Um, and I think that you see just in these first couple weeks, how both Seattle and Dallas struggled to, <laughs> to essentially guard Calvin Ridley. Um, so I think that's what Atlanta will probably try to exploit a little bit is the way that they can use Calvin Ridley. Um, and of course, Julio Jones, but I, I don't know how one, I don't know how close to hundred percent Julio Jones actually is because I mean, just from watching Sunday's game against the Cowboys, he didn't look a hundred percent. And I, I wrote about this. He didn't look like Julio. He looked like that hamstring was bothering him maybe more than what he was letting on. Um, so I think that falls to Calvin Ridley. I also think that the Falcons need to get Hayden Hurst more involved. I've been saying this for so long. I loved that the Falcons went out and got Hayden Hurst because I think he fits so well in what the Falcons want to do with the tight end. So getting him more involved would be something that I think they could take advantage of. And then my final question is, is not really necessarily about this game, but you did cover Georgia, and the Bears have a couple Georgia players, um, Roquan Smith, Javon Williams, Riley Ridley. Do you have any good stories or uh, fun stories about any of those three players? Oh, my gosh. So they all were on the team when, uh, when I was covering UGA, when I was at UGA. And I just remember – when Roquan Smith, his, his last year at Georgia, I mean, he racked up so many awards. And I remember it was like right before the Rose Bowl, which sorry about bringing this up, but like right before the Rose Bowl, um, I remember everyone wanted to talk to Roquan Smith. He comes up the stairs and he's standing there in front of, gosh, probably like 25 to 30 reporters and cameramen and it was really really crazy and he was just so calm so collected and he was just kind of saying like this isn't about like me versus Baker Mayfield which was such the narrative at that time going into that game and it was so great and I loved what he kept saying he's like yeah I know people are going to make that the narrative but that's not the narrative and 
I don't know. He was, I loved being in that little mosh pit and seeing how he kind of carried himself through that. And I mean, he ended up having a great game, like, like, not like no lie, had a great game. Um, like he did many times that year. Um, Javon Wims, I, I remember he, uh, there's something I remember with like juice. I don't know. He, I think that was his nickname. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what, that's what they call him here in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. I, and I think that there's a story behind that because I remember asking him about that. And like, I think his mom was the one who gave him that name because he was so, I mean, he just, he's like, I just bring the juice. I just bring the juice. And it was written on the bottom of his shoes. And I mean, I remember having like a conversation with him very early in that year about why his nickname is juice. And I just always thought that was so funny. But those are, those are a couple stories for you guys. Yeah, all three are great. Uh, being able to talk to them in the locker room, all three are super nice. Just mm -hmm. really good guys. Um, before we let you go, though, where can everyone follow you on Twitter at? And uh, where can they read your work? Yes. So um, my Twitter handle is at Tori underscore McElhaney. Um, and then you can read my work on the athletic site. Just go to either the um, Athletic Atlanta is part of the site or go to the Falcons. I'm, I'm on both. Or you can go to my uh, author page, just Tori McElhaney. Um, but yeah, that's where, you can, that's where you can find me. Awesome. And I highly recommend everyone go check that out. You do some really good work for the Falcons, the Athletic there. Um, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime soon. Thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Welcome back in here, the Bearport Podcast. Aaron, let's wrap things up. Um, Tori gave a great interview there on, you know, some keys for the Bears and Falcons on Sunday. Last week, I went first with my prediction, my X Factor. I'll let you go first this week. Who's your X Factor for Sunday's game, and what, what prediction do you have? Well, I think as far as X Factor go, I think this is really going to come down to – I'm going to give two, and it's going to be both corners here. And I, I think that Kyle Fuller and Jalen Johnson especially – are going to have the work cut out for them this week. As we cover in the interview, um, you know, between Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, they have over 400 yards between them. Russell Gage has also been in there. Hayden Hurst has also been kind of an overlooked weapon for them as well. They have a lot of firepower on the defenses, on the offensive side of the ball. So I think that getting the good matchup there, and, and I don't think it's as lopsided as some people do. I mean, like we talked about, both Jalen Johnson and, and Kyle Fuller have been absolutely outstanding so far this year. And they're going to need to keep that up. So that'll be my X factor. In terms of uh, my overall prediction, uh, I'm going to go with a little bit higher of a score. I'm going to say 27 to 24, the Bears win. It's probably going to be another close game that's going to come down to the wire. I think this time it's going to be flipped, though. I think that the Bears are going to have the ball with a chance to win it. And I think the Bears offense is going to be able to do enough to go down the field, whether it's 24 to you know 24 and they need a field goal, whatever it is. I think that the Bears are going to flip the script this time and have to take it downfield and win it. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening and then being, you know, those two X factors, especially with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, uh, the Falcons passing attack. I'm going to make my X factor Mitchell Trubisky because we have seen, you know, so far in the first two games, he had a great fourth quarter against the Lions and was pretty bad in the first half. And then in week two, he was pretty damn good in the first half and pretty bad in the second half. He needs to put together a complete game. Like you mentioned, the Bears offense has been moving the football down the field. However, they've been, you know, settling for field goals or no points instead of touchdowns. And in the NFL, that's not really going to cut it. You can't live like that every single week. This is a chance for Trubisky to kind of exploit a, a, a Falcons passing defense has given up a combined quarterback rating of 124.7 so far this season. 
Trubisky and the offense can get in a rhythm. They should put up some points. I think I could see that happening. For my prediction, I'm going to go somewhere along the lines. I'll say 31-28 Bears. I think, like you said, it's going to be a very close game at the end. I think the Bears will have a chance to win it with a field goal. Um, I'll go with Cairo Santos hitting a long field goal. The thing about Atlanta is that something always seems to happen weird when the Bears and Falcons meet up. Um, specifically in Atlanta, you remember that game, what, 2008, where the Bears pretty much had it in the bag and gave the long kick return and then the quick throw to the sideline. It was just – it was bad. Let's hope the Bears can get a win this time. Um, yeah, so I'll go 31-28 Bears. Aaron, that'll wrap things up. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter at? Yep, you can follow me at Aaron Lemming NFL, and you can read my work on thebearreport.com. Awesome. You can follow The Bear Report at Just Bear Report on Twitter. You can read my work on thebearreport.com. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Zach, Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode of The Bear Report Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on all major podcasting platforms. Till next week, everyone stay safe. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com